Let's praise be to God. I hope you're safe. I hope the Lord has kept you safe and sound. This is a day that the Lord has met. We shall rejoice and we shall be glad in it. Thank you for joining us for our time of the study of the Bible. Here, we study the Bible. We aim to study from the book of Genesis to Revelation. By the grace of God, we have done 25 books of the Bible. And uh, we thank God for the grace to learn, for the grace to have revelation. And there's no limitation to that revelation because the Holy Spirit is with us. He will let us know. He will teach us about the Word of God. If you've not been able to listen to the podcast we've done straight from the book of Genesis, I ask you to please visit all podcast platforms, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Podbean, and you'll find it all there. And you can also visit our website, BibleIndepth.com. You'll know everything about this network. And there'll be lots of things to explore on the website. You can also access our live stream, 24-7 live stream of worship. And I believe God shall bless you. Now, we are handling the book of Ezekiel. And uh, we've done 37 chapters. And uh, the past two chapters, we've been uh, getting to understand the fulfillment of prophecy. And uh, what exactly is being said by Ezekiel of that which is to come. And today... Uh, we start on uh, chapter 38, but uh, this is a prophecy about Gog and the future invasion of Israel, of what is going to happen in the years to come. Not even just yet. Even today we've not seen it come to pass yet, this which they are talking about here. But uh, before we get to the fulfillment of that prophecy, all the prophecies that will come, I want to take us through... Uh, history, a road of history of Israel. What happens to Israel after it has left um, Babylon? Because there's lots of things that happen there. Uh, when they are giving them all this good prophecy and the things that are going to happen to them or that are going to come, it does not really imply it's going to happen tomorrow or next year or two years from now. It took 2000, over 2,500 years to see fulfillment of prophecy of them getting their own nation. Now, when chapter 38 comes of the book of Ezekiel, they have already received that nation. Yeah? They've already received that land. And that's in 1948 when they got that. And uh, this prophecy that happens now in thirty-eight, chapter 38 shows an attack that comes to them after they've been in that land. After 1948, so this invasion that they're talking about here is yet to come, but it is on the way, and it's coming. And it's good for us to get into history and see what happened then between uh, 586, 538, when they left uh, that captivity, up to today. What has happened? So that, that helps us get a picture of what exactly is chapter 38 talking about that which is going to come to pass? What have been the events that have been surrounding that are going to lead to this great war that's being talked about here? This invasion that will be uh, announcing the end of the world. That will be announcing the end that is to come because it's that battle, which is also known as the Battle of Armageddon, that will start to make things wind out and wind down in the world that we know. 
Now we will take a study, we'll take a few number of episodes uh, looking at Israel and how it moves on from the time of Babylon straight up to the current uh, state it is in right now. And these are things that uh, you may not find in the Bible because if they were to write everything in the Bible, it would be a very huge book that you might require uh, a machine or a car or something to carry. When you're going to church, you call people to help you carry it and you put it in the car. It would have been a very huge book. And um, these are books of history. If you read books of history, if you're somebody who loves to read, and you get into the books of history, you will find all this information there about the history of this nation and how, really, it has advanced straight from the time of captivity up to where it is right now. All this information is accessible in the books of history of Israel. And uh, through Josephus and Herodotus, those are great historians who compiled uh, much of the content of Israel. So we want to take uh, before the fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel 38, what has happened to Israel. Yeah, We're looking at Israel or the Jews after the Babylon captivity to death. Now you will see two... Uh, statements or words or symbols that are used one is bce yeah that is before the common era the other one is ce that is the common era some will call it bc yeah which is before christ yeah and then others will call the other section or the other part ad which is anno domino in the year of the lord they came that with that so a thousand years the, when we get when we are reading here, you see some that are in BC, which will imply that is before Christ, yeah, before Christ uh, comes onto the scene. Then we shall get to AD. I'll use those because they'll be easier. BCE and CE might confuse a few, but that is used. Of course, they came up with that because they were saying uh, some of us are not Christians. We are. Why do you make us uh, take it as before Christ or after? Adult Domino, they, it, they did want it to be a religion issue when they are trying to differentiate these periods of years. So they came up with a BCE and the CE. But I will use BC to make it easy for you and AD to understand. After uh, AD, uh, of course, is when the, the Lord has come, the life after the Lord. So those will be the years that you will know that now they are talking about uh, the years when Christ has been born, yeah? Now, Israel or Judah is captured in B.C. 586. That's the period with, in which Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes control of them. He takes them away, takes them into captivity. And this is the same period in which you see Jeremiah prophesy, even Ezekiel, the book that we're handing right now. It's in this same period that these guys exist. And they come out to prophesy. And in this period of captivity, the temple of Jerusalem, that which was built by Solomon, like we saw, was destroyed. It was burnt down. The city was burnt down. Houses were burnt down. The place was brought to the ground by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And as we know it, most of the Jews in this period were taken into exile. Yeah? 
Now, they live their life of exile. There is prophecy that has come out, and they are told, you know, guys, one day you shall leave this place. And in 538 BC, that is 538 before Christ, there came an end of this Babylonian era. You saw uh, Nebuchadnezzar fall. Of course, he dies. Uh, the children come, take over, and all, but the empire would not be sustained. It did not fall on the during the time of Nebuchadnezzar himself. No, for him, he lived, reigned, died, and others who came after him are the ones that lost this position as a world power. Yeah, and uh, Persia comes and takes the reins under the leadership of Cyrus the Great. We read about him even in the Bible. And uh, what is uh, well known about him, he's a great man, great man of war. He comes, overthrows Babylon, takes over. Now, this does not imply that uh, these people just emerge on the scene. Over the years, they build their glory. yeah. And as it keeps on building, they come conquering, taking regions, taking territories, until they have the bigger territory, then they are considered a world power. It doesn't, it may not imply that they were in charge in every corner, no. But if they, their empire has grown huge and large enough, then they are considered the world power at that time. So Persia comes on, and we see Cyrus the Great. When we read, even in the Bible, uh, when we're reading about Nehemiah, about Ezra, these are seasons where you find this man that was leading this time. And uh, from his period when he comes on as the leader, Cyrus, he gives people opportunity to go back to their homes because what Babylon had done, it had taken people captive. It had taken uh, uh, nations captive. Some it had taken into its own land. So when he comes, he says, guys, if you want to go back home, you can go back home. And this is a decree that did not go only for the people of Israel, no. Everybody who had been held captive. He gave the opportunity to everybody who had been taken captive. And he told them, you can return to your own land. And among these, the Jews are also part of those who enjoyed. And this is the time of Ezra and uh, the time of Nehemiah as well. And from 538 to about 515 BC, that's a season that the Jews started to return home. Of course, not everybody returned home because some had built their lives already in Babylon. They said, why should we go back? I have a house, I have a business, I, I sell things, I have, I've made a good life here. Why should I go back in a place that was brought down? Yeah, they burnt down my house, they burnt down the city. Ah, there is no need to go back. But then, many of them still went back home. And uh, you'll find that it didn't just happen in one year. Yeah, they took a number of years, a period of years when the migration is happening. Yeah, all this was during the period that the Persian Empire was in charge. They had some sort of uh, liberty during that time. And also, Cyrus the Great says, you can build your temple again. One thing he did as uh, uh, an emperor of sort or a, a leader, a world leader, at that time, as Cyrus, he did not want to enter into wrangles with nations concerning their gods. So he wanted everybody to worship their god as they felt free to do so. And he also would come out and try to understand your god and know how uh, you worship, what are the 
the processes you carry out as you worship, what is what encompasses your worship as a nation. And among those, also Israel is part because he says to Israel, you go back and build your temple. And he even funds the process of rebuilding the temple. This funding he did not do just for Israel, but he did for all the other nations that also were set free to go back to their homes. He paid them, he gave them money and said, go ahead, build, rebuild your temples that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And uh, that is something that is well known for him as uh, a leader, Cyrus the Great. He funded the rebuilding of temples across the nations for which he gave authority and uh, liberty to return home. So uh, Israel is part of them and uh, they have funds to rebuild their nation, their temple as well. And uh, this they do. The second temple is built and it's completed. Of course, in there, when you read the book of uh, Nehemiah, you will find there were some wrangles here and there about its construction. There was not enough peace. They were, had a son Balat in Samaria who became a problem to them in their construction. But eventually in 516 BC, they completed the construction of this second temple. This second temple did not have the glory like the first. It did not look like the one, exactly like the one that Solomon had built. The pomp had gone down. Remember when those guys came, they looted. Practically, they broke down everything on the temple. They took the gold. They took the things of treasure, the all the things that were treasurable. Of course, in the return with Cyrus, they get back some of those temple uh, items that were stolen, the treasures. They come back with them. But this second temple being built does not have the glamour like the first one had. And of course, we read and see that some people looked at it and were like, ah, this is not really it. It's not like the first. But then it wasn't going to be like the first because the first had its grace, which Solomon was part of and uh, there was much that could be done with it with him being in power and getting all the wealth and ref and tributes that came in this second one was not going to be uh, so much glamorous but they had their funding of some level that came in from cyrus the great now this season with Persia, israel sees some semblance of peace yeah they are not living so badly as the persians are ruling yeah, and uh, irrespective of the fact that they have this liberty, the the civil and religious leaders are appointed to this restored community by Persia. The imperial power, which is Persia, still gives them those people that are going to lead and have charge over them. So, Israel after Babylon, Israel after this captivity, returns home, but then does not imply they are in charge still. They are under Persia, though they are being given uh, the liberty that they need. Now, we see Nehemiah is a cupbearer. We read about that to a, a, a Persian king, one who comes even after Cyrus, is a, a taxus. That is between 464 and uh, 425 BC. And he's even allowed to go ahead and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He's appointed a commissioner or a governor of sorts. And uh, the Persian Empire, as it was, had a policy of good, uh, of peace with the neighbors, though they were under 
their control. Ezra also we see comes in. He's a scribe. He's a priest. He was well learned in the law. And uh, with the efforts that Nehemiah, of course, there's always questions of who came first. Is it Ezra? Is it Nehemiah? But it might be clear that uh, Nehemiah comes first. And when Ezra comes on, this priest and scribe, for him, he tries to reinforce those things that Nehemiah had already brought in. Yeah? And reinforce the culture of Israel. Guys, let's follow. We're back from captivity, but let's follow. Yeah? Let's be in line with what our God tells us. He ensures and kicks on the keeps on the mandate that Nehemiah brings of hey we are not getting into mixed marriages anymore yeah let's keep our culture let's marry from within yeah and uh he renews also Ezra the temple priesthood and uh, this was going to be shared between the sons of Aaron those of the Zadokite family and line yeah and these will eventually as you see as we go on make the title of high priest. This title was no longer in use. It had entered a, a, a silence of sorts yeah, after that captivity, and it was not in use. So when he comes back as uh, Ezra, is trying to get things back in order, temple issues back in order, and also the title of high priest gets back in use. And in future, you would see that he's going to become the head of the community. The high priest would be considered the head of the community because the days of kings were over. You are not going to have kings anymore. You're not going to have people uh, coming out as kings of... It ended. That season closed off. You would be having now the high priest as the one who takes charge of all affairs in the land of Israel. And of course, in this season, the Torah, the Torah, we know it as those first five books of uh, the Bible. That is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they became the main pillar for this the society or the community had been that had been restored from the captivity in Babylon. Now it was it was like their baby. Yeah, this is our guide, the Torah. Yeah. And from that time, the Jewish faith was basing on the Torah, was basing on the scripture. And uh, it could be this season or this period that you can come out and legitimately call the, call that Judaism. Yeah, that that is when Judaism starts to be uh, in full gear after they've come back in the time of Ezra, and those who profess this Judaism were called Israelites, and also then get the name Jews. They are called Jews. These are Jews. They practice Judaism. They're Israelites. Yeah, they f- they have the Torah, those five first five books of the Bible, and they are their guide. Now. In this time of Ezra, as we looked even then, we saw that there were scholar scribes that started explaining the law. They would add comments to it. Yeah, they would read the law, then they get into the detail of breaking it down to explain it further. And uh, they would add comments that strengthened this Judaism. Yeah, to the law. They add expl- explanation to it. And the, the activities were staunch and they kept on, they were clear on what has to be done. These are the spiritual heirs to Ezra. Yeah, They did everything to make sure we are making this thing concrete. Yeah, And uh, you see Israel taking on a nature and taking on a culture that had been lost initially. So, 
with the return, you mostly see Ezra, you see Nehemiah, you see Persia, but they don't have that independence. They're still under uh, control of a superpower, of a world power at that time. Persia started to lose grip on the, on the region. And as they started to de- de- decline in power, somebody else came up. That's Alexander the Great of Macedonia. Now, that is a period of around th- 332 BC. The Greeks take power. They control Israel. And uh, uh, Alexander the Great is the man who comes. This man, he brings in a rule, the Hellenistic rule that you may see. And, of course, earlier, the Greeks were already trying to get control. They were moving places and gaining control and expanding their empire. And finally, eventually, they come uh, into the regions of Persia. They fight with the Persians. They uh, take charge of their empire, their, their areas, and now they grow as the new world power. The Greeks come in and they grow as the new world power. And of course, since Israel, remember our focus here is on Israel. Since Israel does not have the strength anymore, it will have to fall under the Greeks. They're not having their liberties yet. It's going to take a period of about 2,000 years before they get that liberty. And now, in this season, the Greeks come in. The good thing that was happening here is before they had had some good relations with the Greeks. So, there was not so much uh, fuss about it. They were like, okay, these are our friends, we know them. And uh, only to realize that their culture was going to suffer because uh, with Alexander the Great, they started to feel the impact of uh, the European continent. Yeah, Because it started to dominate their lives, it started to dominate their culture, their destinies. Yeah, This Hellenistic culture that was coming with the Greeks mostly uh, depicting a modern life, yeah? You know, you get out of your old uh, thinking of the way you do things. Let's get into a modern life. This is what was coming now to Israel, and it was going to become a problem for them, even for the years to come. Alexander the Great dies in 323. He died a young man at 32, just 32, after creating one of the greatest all the largest empires in the history of the world. This man, they had a, a 10 years of fighting. Now, this means he started at 22. He was a genius. He was a war genius. Just at 22, he was leading an army, and they went and conquered almost every corner of the world as Greeks and Alexander the Great. And just at 32, he dies. Of course, war-torn. How do you fight for 10 years non-stop? People left their homes and had never returned for 10 years. They are out in the field fighting. At one point, when they get to the corner of Asia, they say, ah, we need to get back home. We are tired. We've done this long enough. We've achieved the greatest, largest empires. And of course, Alexander the Great returns with them. And in Babylon, they say he died of uh, diseases, these health diseases, hygienic diseases and it's really hard to understand how he died, but he's gone at just the age of 32. And when he dies at 32, dies a young man, but having made a name for himself. This huge empire that he had created for himself 
has to be separated yeah into hellenistic kingdoms and they are ruled by his followers those macedonian followers those that were uh, close followers to alexander the great so they break it down but when they break down the kingdom they are going to run it under greek policy under greek affairs greek understanding greek institutions that's how they are going to run this place that they are inheriting three main dynasties are formed within it and they are cut out within this large empire that alexander the great had created one of them is the antigonids it was in macedonia that was quite far from israel of course then the second was the seleucids this was near the israelites it's syria and mesopotamia it's clear these one the seleucids are near i mean syria and israel just share they are close to each other they share a border so the seleucids are closer then you have the third who took the uh, third part or territory of Alexander the Great, and those are the Ptolemies. And these were in Egypt and East Mediterranean coastlands. Those are the ones that took over that side. Now, where does Israel fall? Israel fell under the Ptolemies. Yeah? The Ptolemies come out and control the region of Judah. So, Israel has fallen under another Greek uh, authority, and those are the Ptolemies. The Ptolemies control Judea, all Israel, as we might know it all, as we might call that region. Now, the Ptolemies, their capital is in Alexandria. That's in Egypt. That's, uh, that capital, by the way, was built by Alexander the Great. And uh, this became the largest center of the entire dispersion of the Jews because some Jews already were there they had already taken position in that place uh, earlier. We saw in in uh, in the prophecies that Jeremiah is making. There were people who were running to Egypt for refuge, who wanted to stay in Egypt, who wanted to be there. They were running from Nebuchadnezzar. There were those who were already there. But now, when the Ptolemies come, of course, there are wars that happen, yeah, of conquering and taking authority of the region that you've been given as a, a Greek over uh, warlord or leader. And when they are fighting, Ptolemy the first, yeah, this is now 304 BC. When he's fighting in Syria and, and in the Phoenician areas, he goes ahead also and fights in the land of the Jews, in the Jewish area, in the Judean region, and he captures over 100,000 Jews. He takes them as captives, this was a strategy they would use to keep uh, order in the region. So, when Ptolemy the first comes to fight, he takes over a hundred thousand Jews captive, slaves. Did you know that Israel had a second captivity? Here it is, a second major captivity. Yeah. So Ptolemy gets them and takes them. Guess where? He takes them back to Egypt as slaves. Israel once again was taken back to Egypt and they went back as slaves and they were taken by Ptolemy the first. And this is something that when you get into history and study, you learn that there are some things that can come back to haunt you. They lived a life of slavery in Egypt and they got out of it. And now when they come back to their own land, here comes a Greek lord who also picks them 
and takes them back to captivity in Egypt. So he carries them back to Egypt and their captives. Now, of these Jewish captives, they picked out those who were strong and are able-bodied and said, you guys, get into Ptolemy's army. Now, the rest of them, children, women, the elderly, those who didn't have, who are, the, who are not really strong for the army, they became slaves. To all the soldiers that had fought or helped Ptolemy the first fight in Syria and Phoenicia, they rewarded them with these Jews as slaves. So the Jews, for the second time, majorly in history, come out as slaves. And it so happens, it happens even in the same place they were at the beginning, that is in Egypt. Yeah? So, at this time, Israel has been taken and they are slaves. And, uh, of course, the Ptolemies, they take the slaves and they still say, uh, the Jewish council of elders has already been existing. Of course, it was there since the time of Ezra. So they say, you continue administering the country of uh, Judea, administer the country of Israel, and uh, you will be under the high priest. You keep uh, administering the nation of Israel there. But we have taken slaves. We've taken 100,000. They've come with us. They will stay with us, and they will be with us there. And so this is now the life that Israel is taking on. Israel is taking on a life of slavery once again after Babylon. After Persia, of course, in the time of the Greeks, they are still not free. They are still under captivity. They are still under leadership of another nation. They don't have their independence yet. But prophecy had been made. By Ezekiel, we looked at that in chapter 37 and 36, that good things are coming for you, my children, Israel. But hey, these are hundreds of years after that word is spoken. These guys are still under captivity. And now, to make it worse, they've even been taken back to Egypt where it all started. And they are slaves. Over 100,000. Of course, they meet those that were already there, but these who come in this lot. It's a big group. And they are now considered slaves. And uh, we shall close there today because of time and continue tomorrow as we look at what happened with this slavery. How did it end? And how, what were the factors that led to the end of the slavery? Because the factors that helped them overcome this are partly the reason you have that Bible that you move with, the one that you walk with. It's all connected. We shall look at it tomorrow. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for helping us study. And we pray for grace and mercy and favor to always follow us all the days of our lives. We exalt you and give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name.